Morning. Morning. All right. So we're going to do the sermon early in the message. In the message. We're going to do the sermon early in the service. Uh, the sermon and early in the sermon. Uh, we're off to a good start. Uh, and then we're going to sing some more after communion. Sound good? The reason we're doing that is because I'm going to talk about singing today as a spiritual practice. Uh, the next four Sundays today and then the next three. So all of August, uh, we're going to look at four different uh, things that the church does. Some of them are odd, like today, like standing and singing. One of the most common things to hear when you come into church is let's all stand and what? Sing. It's just, where do you hear that? You're not going to go to staff meeting this week and your boss say, before we get started, let's all stand and sing, unless it's happy birthday to somebody and they get their, you know, the company cake uh, or something like that. But it's just a weird thing that we do. So I want to, I thought we would take a few weeks and talk about some of these uh, things that the church does. And so today, uh, I just want to talk about why we sing. Why we sing. Now, a couple things. Working here at this church is not unlike, at least among the staff team, uh, working in the record store in the movie High Fidelity. <laughs> Anybody a fan of this movie? Wonderful, wonderful movie. I mean, I'm being serious. Like, uh, we've always had a little portable record player in the office, and so back here in the office, we it's all set up, ready to go. It's the first thing we moved in. And uh, we have a little thing called Turntable Tuesdays where we all bring in vinyl, and we just let that play all day. And actually, Lindsay, our youth and children's pastor, has a killer record collection uh, that she got from her dad. Mine is better, but she has, she's, <laughs> I'm helping her. I'm helping her get there. Uh, but we always have the top fives discussion. Anybody seen the movie? Top five track ones, side ones, top five Beatles, B-sides. You name it. Like, we do all these conversations all the time, and we argue a lot about music. Music is polarizing, is it not? I mean, if, if we start talking about the styles that we like, the styles that we don't like, it creates, it brings energy into the room, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, music definitely can change the temperature of a conversation, of a, of a, of a room, of an environment, and uh, so working here is like that. I mean, we're always, we love, we love music. Our staff team has always been very very musical. Uh, again, just a, some examples. I mean, Lindsay, our youth and children's pastor, her style is a bit more uh, country. She's into country. She actually wrote and released a country album like maybe eight years ago. It's pretty good. Uh, I listened to it this week, so I can say that. Uh, <laughs> Same album again. I mean, iTunes that listen to the same. She's really good. Uh, she's a bit more country, so when we talk about music, she tends to lean towards uh, that. Uh, Jeff, or Jeff, Jeff. Jeff was on staff here for many, many years, but we're going to include you on this conversation. But what do you like, uh, R&B? Like, what do you? What is your style? Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> I don't know what it's called, but it's like really talented, and you know, it's got a lot of movements to it. And uh, I feel like tapping my feet. But uh, but Jeff, I mean, just an incredible piano player. Uh, the thing that always tricked people out about Jeff when he was on staff with us is new people would ask, like, who's the music guy? I was like, well, our music people are part time. They just do Sundays. Jeff has a real job doing things that he learned at Georgia Tech. He's a Georgia Tech grad and really, really smart. And people always say the same thing like, it's interesting, like a tech student who's artistic and it's weird. So you, you break the mold, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Jeff has two albums, so I mean, again, we've got a little pattern going here. Uh, Garrett, our newest addition up here, you guys might not know this, but Garrett has a degree in classical guitar. Yeah. yeah. I know you're thinking, it'd be more like a Renaissance Fair kind of stuff. But dude, he's so like worship music, 
hear me out. Worship <laughs> music is not difficult to play. Uh, and so you don't get to see, you don't get to see like what Eric can really, really do. But I've been able to see it. Like, it's really, it's really fun to watch him play. And uh, when we were interviewing him, uh, he said his senior recital was classical, like an hour of classical music. So he's like, it's on YouTube, so that's the first thing I did, man. And there he was with a footstool and a guitar, and it was amazing. It was amazing. So um, I'm more of a three-chords in the truth kind of guy. I have no album. Uh, I say that I've been a Grateful Dead cover band, but it's really just me. <laughs> so music is a thing here. I mean, we do church, but... Underneath that, there's this love and uh, appreciation for music, a passion for that. And singing in church has always been a thing for me. Uh, just a few photos here. This is me in high school at church, uh, <laughs> singing in church. And uh, that guitar is still around. Is Brad Strong on the ring? Yeah, you still have my guitar? Yeah, so Brad borrowed that guitar like 12 years ago. <laughs> still has it. But that was the first one. Oh, yeah. I don't, we don't need it. Because my son is now, you know, his jazz band is getting ready for college. And we, it's a guitar store. We don't have a room for it. Uh, but anyway, so that's me in high school uh, or at college. This is me on the left with the hat, of course, and the same sandals I was wearing earlier yesterday. Uh, this is clearly 1991 or two. Uh, the roadies from Rush are sitting behind us. Uh, I went to Bob College Seminary, you know, freshman year, senior year, that's how it works out. And uh, they asked us to do these little courtyard things, but it was our chance to come out and play real music for Christians. And so this was probably all my brothers and something like that. I went into college as a very, uh, uh, what would you call it? I was, a, I was an ass with my music. <laughs> I moved in with all my tapes and records and just thought everyone else's, you know, music was terrible, especially if it was Christian music. Uh, that wasn't for me. I wasn't introduced to that yet. Uh, then in youth ministry, I often love worship in youth ministry. Here's a photo of me leading. Uh, uh, and I know, I used to work out. You see, a little bit thinner. Uh, and then this next picture is uh, actually my youth group, and it's like basement youth room. I think this is the one. Yeah, it's not guitar back there. And, uh, and then we did this Sunday here where, uh, where Jeff was our worship guy. Jeff preached, and I led in worship, so this last picture shows me. Downtown, our downtown space. You guys miss that? No. <laughs> I'm on a group text with two of our elders here, and it goes back a long time. And it's always memes, YouTube links, church stuff, of course, and then music. We talk about music a lot. We talk about music in terms of church. We talk about what role music plays and what songs we should be singing, what songs we should pull from the rotation because they're terrible, what songs we should be learning. I mean, we have these conversations all the time. And uh, so again, the question is still there. Why do we sing? Why do we come into this space and sing? Is it just something we do so that I can come up after that and say things, or is it something more than that? Church and singing have always gone together. I mean, since the beginning of the ancient church, there has never been a time uh, when singing wasn't a part of the congregational experience. And since Christianity was born out of Judaism, 
the, the singing tradition goes back further. Whatever the church was doing in its earliest years was just carryover from its Jewish roots. And so uh, the singing and the chanting and the praising was all just what they had always been doing. So the tradition is deep and long, old. Uh, and how the ancient church incorporated singing into their service is a, more of a mystery. Uh, because we we have not we don't have any surviving church bulletins from the first second <laughs> centuries. Uh, I, I made one. I was going to show it on the screen, which is so, so trite and funny. I was like, we found one. I, I had it all filtered out like a little document. It was funny. Uh, <laughs> it was only funny to me. It was funny in that like I teach Bible college. Funny. You guys are just looking at me. But anyway, but it's always been. Thing. It's always been important. And in ancient Judaism, there was this belief that creation itself, the earth, the things that live on earth, the skies above, the creation itself is singing. That it's constantly humming. There's this underlying tone to the universe. Psalm 64, 66, verse 4, the poet writes, All the earth worships you. And sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, wrote these words, For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into what? Singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. In 2003, in the New York Times, uh, Dennis Overby writes, Astronomers say they have heard the sound of the black hole singing. And what it is singing, and perhaps has been singing for more than two billion years, they say, is B-flat. It's a B-flat, however, 57 octaves lower than middle C. The notes appear as pressure waves rolling and spreading as a result of outbursts from a supermassive black hole through a hot, thin gas that fills the galaxy. 250 million light years away. There are 30,000 light years across and having a period of oscillation of 10 million years. By comparison, Christ, the deepest, lowest notes that a human can hear have a period of about 1 20th of a second. So the black hole is playing the lowest note in the universe, said Dr. Andrew Fabian, X-ray astronomer at the Institute of Astronomy, Cambridge University. The creation itself is making a noise. Jesus once said, uh, and answering some Pharisees, the Pharisees come to him and say, Teacher, rebuke your disciples what they were doing and saying. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very what? The stones, the rocks would cry out. The creation will sing praises to God if we don't. So there was an underlying belief that creation itself was coming, was singing something, and that it had always been singing something. And that it's making a noise to acknowledge its creator. Congregational singing, worship as we like to call it, was simply a way for the ancients to join in the ongoing chorus of creation. So singing isn't a thing that we are making up and creating, but it's a thing that we are latching onto that's been happening since the beginning of time. We sing to catch up and reconnect with God. Our scripture today, I want to guide you to Colossians chapter 3, 
uh, verses 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Just real quick before we get there, this is a letter in our New Testaments, and um, one of the surviving letters of who's known as the Apostle Paul. And Paul wrote letters to churches to coach them, uh, and so we have his mail. It's interesting. And we get to read and we learn what it was like for these ancient communities of faith uh, to get together and what they did. And sometimes there's little glimpses of uh, what it was like to attend uh, a church service in the first century. And this letter comes to us uh, in the middle of the first century, so it's very, it's very old. It's just decades after the uh, death and resurrection of Jesus. So things are still fresh. There's still eyewitnesses uh, moving about. And it's written to a church in Colossae. And uh, I just want to read a section of it. There's a little piece of it where it talks about, where he speaks about what should be happening in the weekly uh, gathering. Compassion, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. What does this have to do with singing? Singing is coming. Just hang on. We have to do things in context. My son the other day said, you know I read the Bible every day? I'm like, hang on. And uh, <laughs> Pastor Skip, thank you. And I said, what are you reading? He's like, just a verse a day. So I'm thinking, is he on the Bible app? You know, verse a day, reading plan or something. And I'm like, how do you do that? He's like, I just open it. I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> It's worse sometimes. But it can be the better place. 
It can, for a brief moment in time, function as the better place where these things are practiced and lived out. And there is this understanding from Paul, and you know this too, that all of us enter this building in need of this. We have, we, we've all entered this space with a deep need for each of those in our lives. Whatever your road to church is, and I'll say this again at the end and explain it, whatever your road to this building has been, uh, you've had to walk over broken glass to get Our lives are filled with pain and hurt, and even just in the process of getting here, it requires us to move over that broken glass of our lives to make our way to this place. He goes on to say in verses 14 and 15, and above all these, as if those weren't enough, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be Thankful. That word love, there are four words for love in the Greek language. This is the top tier. No one can really love like this kind of love. It's the love known as agape. And you can't do it. I can't. It's, it, it's impossible. It's a love without condition. It's a love that's driven by grace. We can, we can taste it. We can stumble through it. We can experience it. We can sometimes display it. But we can't live. It's very hard. It's very, very hard. This is why Paul says, put it on. Wear it. It's not necessarily something that comes from within you. It's hard. It's difficult. It's impossible. But we can, as C.S. Lewis likes to say, we can pretend. We can pretend that we know how to agape. And so we just wear it. We are imposters. And maybe in the process of being an imposter of agape, we stumble upon it and we do it right occasionally. But we put it on. It's the highest form of love. It's something we wear. It's something that marks us. And I like what Paul is saying here. Before he even gets to singing, because again, singing is coming. But before we say anything, there's this loving action that we must wear. We're great at saying things. I mean, we're great at giving opinions. I mean, my, a part of my job is getting up here and saying things. Um, but the truth is, and you know this better than anything, this is a whole phrase that I like to say, uh, better is well done than well said. Amen? I, show me what you can do. I know you have all the right opinions. I have all the right opinions. I'm right, you're wrong. I have all these things that I want to say. You have all these things you want to say. You have all these things. But better is well done than well said in the eyes of God. What did you do? How did you love? And this kind of love helps us create, Paul says, a more unified body. That the more we wear this kind of agape, again, it is marked by these things that he mentions ahead of this verse the kindness, the humility, the meekness, the patience bearing with one another, when we at least pretend that we know what we're doing behind those wheels, then something special happens in our body to become more unified as a congregation. I was reading some uh, things about singing and what people thought about singing. It's pretty interesting that uh, you may have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but uh, 
he, he, was, he was opposed to harmony being sung in the church. I've heard of churches that were like it. No harmony. Everybody sings melody. But his reasoning was that harmony separates us. I disagree with Dietrich, but he's dead and gone, so I can't say anything to him. But, uh, but I just thought that was interesting. I mean, there's even this sense of, like, even in how we sing, it must be unified. So there, we come into the building, we need all these things in our lives. We need to be loved in a way that the world doesn't love. And then Paul says this in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. This is how he closes this section. When you come together, come together as people who are marked by these things, and I want you to teach and admonish one another. Admonish is an interesting word to irritate, to warn, to teach, to instruct. I want you to admonish one another in singing. That when we sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, we are teaching each other. I think that's true. I think these words that we sing, these songs that we sing together, old, new, somewhere in the middle, they're teaching moments for us. We are reminded of things of God, about Him. We're reminded of who He is and so on. And we are told to do that, to instruct, to teach, to remind each other through singing. We sing reminders of God's grace and mercy and presence and faithfulness over each other. Now this is an ancient practice. That when we sing, it's not just, I'm singing... Wonderful, and I love this song. It's that we're singing over each other. And Paul seems to think that our songs, while ultimately directed to God, they also function interpersonally. That when we sing these songs of God, we sing reminders of God to one another. We need that. Science keeps discovering new things about music. There was a study last year that came out about how people who attend concerts are typically more happy than others. Clearly they didn't study the Slayer shows. But, <laughs> but there's something happening when people gather and there's group singing and there's music. Science continues to discover not just to discover not just how music works, but it's starting to get into the subject of why music works. And as someone who believes that science and discovery is a way that we learn more about God, every time science makes a new discovery, the curtain gets pulled back and you can step back and say, that's how you get it, God. That's how you're working. But maybe in the future we'll know more and more of how God uses music. But we know that when we sing together, when we're in the presence of singing. We feel good. We feel better. There's something happening there. And we all share the human experience. And we live in a world that oftentimes leave us injured. We walk in here with various stories from the days that we just lived of brokenness, of shame, of fear, of guilt. And what Paul is holding out for us is this picture of a kind of community that helps bring healing. Pushes back the layers of hurt, 
part of it is this old ancient practice of singing together, singing songs to God, about God, and about God's grace and mercy over us. So singing isn't just a buffer until the sermon. It's actually a participation in the sermon of grace and mercy that we are speaking to each other. It's just part of the hum of the universe, the love of God. Amen? And with the exception of uh, a two or three month stint as a substitute teacher, this is all I've ever done with my life, my adult life. I've only worked in the church. For 25 years, this is what I've done. I actually don't even know what it's like to be you anymore. I get glimpses, like if I'm on vacation and we go to a church and um, it's a glimpse. I get to walk in and like, I don't, I don't do anything. You know? Check the kids in. I don't care if you break the check-in rules. Just drop them off. Like, I don't care. You know? I'll park right here. I'll park right in front of the building. I can do that. I can do that. When the pastor gets on the stage and says, we need five more people for the nursery, I look at Mickey and say, it sucks to be him. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Is that what it's like for you? I get little glimpses of that, where like, I, but I don't remember or even know what it's like to be you. 25 years. That's 1,300 Sundays. Many of which uh, involved me, you know, someone in leadership saying, hey, put the guitar on and ask people to stand and sing if you lead them. I did that. Did that for a long time. 1,300 Sundays. Uh, and maybe hundreds of, I, don't, I didn't count, I don't keep track of these things. But I'm just going to say hundreds of those 1,300 Sundays. I wanted to be anywhere but in church. You know that feeling, right? I know that sounds weird coming from me, but it's true. 25 years, I don't know, hundreds of Sundays. I'd rather be anywhere than here. For whatever the reasons were, I didn't feel worthy enough. Uh, I was depressed. Uh, we'd, we'd fought at home. We had to come together and smile. Didn't want to be here. Yeah, didn't want to do that. Uh, going through something like long seasons and something like, it's going to be anywhere but here. And all of our staff have experienced that in some level. The younger ones that come through, it's a shock to them when they start to feel that. And there I am. It's normal. But if it lasts 10 years, let me know that it's normal. <laughs> I, I, just a couple of stories. Uh, when our church lost Morris uh, uh, Tang uh, a little over a year ago, and uh, a longtime member a glowing presence in our community. We loved him. A beautiful person. But he took his own life. And the love of his life, Victoria and Lindsay, our youth pastor, were the first on the scene, doing everything they could do to reverse the situation. And I remember getting that phone call. It was a Saturday. 
It always happens on the Sabbath. And I didn't hear the call. And I woke up early that morning and I saw that Lindsay had called me at like 3 in the morning or whatever. So I called her back and she told me the news. And um, we rearranged Sunday morning very quickly. But when Lindsay and Victoria walked in the building that Sunday, there was still a sense of shock. You know, they made it through. And, uh, but man, it's hard. It's hard for Victoria even come into the building. And Lindsay wanted to be anywhere but here. And she was in a double bind because she's on the payroll. And it was tough. Not for two weeks, not for three weeks. Maybe over the last year. It's been hard for her and for Victoria to even come into the building. When Jeff was on staff with us and we interviewed him uptown, about this, Jeff's been so open about his own struggles with anxiety, depression, alcohol back in the day. Just listening to him share stories and knowing that at any moment there could be a panic attack from the stress. And I didn't interview you about this, but I'm just sure there were some days you were like, I'm just hitting the keys. <laughs> Rather be home. It's a good song, isn't it? <laughs> you know? Surely, right? It happens. Y'all may not have noticed this, but on the opening Sunday, our boy Garrett was up here leading. Um, I think it was the last song, I can't remember the last song, but he backed away from the microphone and he started looking around. And as someone who's had enough panic attacks been in the PR form, I was like, uh oh. He grabbed water, but you were tied to the guitar and the cord. You couldn't go anywhere. You were trapped, weren't you? You felt trapped. And Jeff took over almost unknowingly, just started singing, and we got through it. And then I talked to him on Monday, and he's like, I don't know, I just started hanging. Been there. The downtown years, uh, for me, were not good. I, I did not like them. I loved you. I loved our church. But there were so many Sundays where I didn't want to be here. But there were these moments, especially downtown. If you remember, I would always sit on the steps behind you. That's a stress day. It's a lot for me to stand up here. And in that building downtown, it ain't no way I was sitting in that circle. <laughs> There'd be these moments, man, where the band would be singing and they'd pull back and you could hear your voices. And it's like medicine. Because I've seen Grace Like Faithfulness all day long, but if we sing it, it's something. Now I know that in this room, many of you walked over broken glass to get here. That your job is beating you down. That your marriage is actually terrible. That your kids are driving you crazy. That you wish you weren't single. That you don't know if you're going to make it to the next paycheck. That when we open the Bible and you think, that has nothing for me. You 
have the faintest memory of faith in a childhood, but you struggle with that now. Maybe church has been a place of injury for you in the past, and you, you somehow still come. I just know that many of you walk in here with the same feelings that even your staff and your pastors at times. And it's so important in those moments, Paul is saying, that we sing over one another. That we find ways to encourage each other through song. So when we say stand and sing, you can say, I hate singing. It's not for you. Maybe that person on your pew needs it. I hate crying. What is this? What is this? <laughs> Are you with me on that, though? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. Then we're done. We understand. <laughs> it's the only place in the world you're going to go every week where people will sing over you. And I think God wants that for you. I think Paul's a genius here. Be a place of healing, but we do that through many things, but one is that we raise our voices together. Paul doesn't know the science. Science is catching up. Science is saying this is good for people. So let's do that. Let's remember that when we are asked to stand and sing, it is for us to speak words of grace and mercy over us. Amen? Amen. Mm -hmm.